Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, would you open the word of God to us? As we look at Peter's boldness, we ask for the same boldness to be in us. Make us bold in the word, bold in ministry, bold to step out in mission, bold to pray for people. Lord, free us from fear. We pray that the word today, Lord, would would bring out the truth and that we we would be freed and released to follow you and move with you as the Spirit leads us. Grace us now. Open the word. We want to hear it and believe it. We want to obey it. Grace me to speak your word and not mine. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's almost like there were two men named Peter. The one we meet in the Gospels is good-hearted, but often says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Only a few weeks earlier, That one, that Peter, fearfully denied to a servant girl, even knew Jesus. But on this Pentecost morning, we're listening to a very different man. This one has the courage to stand in front of thousands and tell them in unmistakable terms that they are morally responsible for killing the Messiah. Neither afraid nor angry, he says to them, you nailed him to a cross by the hand of godless men and put him to death. His boldness is remarkable. Today, this one, this Peter, will be so effective at preaching the gospel, 3,000 people will repent and be baptized. The fearful, clumsy man who often makes us chuckle when we read the gospels has been transformed into a fearless, eloquent spokesman for his Lord. What happened? What changed Peter? We want to know because we want that same boldness for ourselves. We want to be able to speak when it's time to speak. We want to be able to pray for someone when it's time to pray. We want the courage to go someplace and serve when we're called to go. We don't want fear holding us back. So let's find out what happened to Peter so it can happen to us too. Amen? Acts chapter 2. I'm just reading a few verses, 22, 23, and then I'll go down to 36. Let me remind you how we got where we are. This is the day of Pentecost. We're 50 days after Passover, after Jesus rose from the dead and has been for 40 days appearing to the disciples. We've had him ascend from the Mount of Olives into heaven. They've waited for 10 days in an upper room praying and worshiping and preparing their hearts. And then the day of Pentecost arrived. And what a day that was. As they're sitting 120 plus, it's Pentecost. They were all there. It's a special day. So who knows how many were on that rooftop, as many as it could hold. It's a a flat roof with some kind of covering and some kind of shelter on it. And it's a gathering place. And they're all up there in... The morning, it's before nine o'clock in the morning, we know that. They're worshiping, and suddenly it says they they hear a sound out of heaven. 
And it says that the sound came toward them, as it were, it grew, it grew louder. And as it arrived, you could almost hear it coming, as this arrived, it arrived on a strong gust of wind. So they hear this, they're hearing, the, is it music? Is it angel voices? I mean, what are they hearing? We, don't, we aren't told. But the sound comes, and they hear it, and it surrounds them, and it, and it comes poof, like, a, like a gust of wind over them. And then it says a pillar of light, like fire, came into the room and divided itself. And the, the flames of fire, this pillar of light, came over each person so that every one of them had this light upon them. And as it did, they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gives them utterance. They began to suddenly be speaking in tongues and worshiping God. They're all doing it at once, men and women, young and old, 120 plus, all on this rooftop. Now, if you go to Jerusalem, it's all stone, stone streets, stone walls, stone everything. And so the echoing effect is something. This is Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the three great festivals. It's a great convocation of the Lord, meaning all the males of Israel are to appear. They're to appear at the temple and offer their, sac- their sacrifices. It is the beginning of the wheat harvest and they bring, they bring, they bring the la- the, their wheat and, they, and they, uh, loaves of bread on Pentecost and, and offer these and other things and first fruits. So the estimates are 10,000 people have this morning entered the city. They've been camped out outside. They've been, it's Pentecost morning. Now they will enter, and they're moving down this, the, these narrow, windy streets of Jerusalem toward the temple from undoubtedly every direction. You've just got, you've got the streets are packed. And they hear this sound of voices, this rooftop full of Pentecostals. And, and they hear this going up, and they, and, they, and they begin to migrate to this thing and surround it by the thousands The interesting thing that happens is as they're listening, every one of them can hear the entire group speaking in that person's native language. Now, they they all speak a number of languages. They all speak uh, Greek, undoubtedly. That's the language of commerce. They all speak Latin. That's the language of their oppressors. That's the political language. They'll speak Hebrew to some degree. They've been bar mitzvahed. I mean, they've got some Hebrew there, even if they're from a distant place. And they've got their own native dialect. Luke uses the term. He says, they heard all of them in their own native dialect. So they're listening to their heart language, the language their mom spoke to them when they were being raised as little children. They're listening and hear them speaking the mighty deeds of God. They're not only are they amazed, they're frightened. Uh, Luke uses the word, they're beside themselves. So they're, they're literally, whoa, what is this? I mean, they, they recognize a miracle afoot. And they're, they're scared. And they're amazed. And they say, what's happening here? And somehow, I'm sure they didn't just stand there because that's, yeah, that's no place to stand in those narrow streets. Somehow, I think, they made their way to the southern steps of the temple, which isn't far away. And the southern steps of the temple, just like a big stadium, a big stone stadium, the amphitheater, these steps just go on up. They're, they're excavated now. When we go to Israel, we, we sit on them too. And I think Peter and the 11 stood at the bottom, and they've got this whole arrayed thousands of people sitting there, and they're, going, they're explaining now 
what's going to happen. Peter opens up in verse 14 there, and he says, Taking his stand with the eleven, he raised his voice and declared to the men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And now he's going to explain, first of all, what's this business of speaking in other languages? What on earth is happening? What's the miracle in front of us right now? He quotes from Joel, and he says, we all know that when Messiah comes, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, on, on all Israel, and the, our sons and our daughters, the young and old, will prophesy and see visions. There'll be a working of the Holy Spirit. He says, that's what's happening right now. Messiah has come. Messiah has come. He has been crucified. He has been resurrected. He's ascended and sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, and he has poured out the Spirit as the Scriptures said he would. You're seeing the Spirit poured out on our sons and daughters. He closes that section of, of, of Joel with this verse 21, and, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Messiah will also be a great Savior. He will come and he will rescue his people and rescue them from their enemies. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Now Peter goes into his presentation. Now he's going to present Jesus. He's going to tell them, the name they must call upon to be saved. Having just quoted from the prophet Joel to explain to the crowd why the disciples spoke with other tongues, and having concluded with the words, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Peter announces to them that the name they must call upon is Jesus. But he knows that there is a theological barrier in their minds which will prevent them from calling on that name. The barrier was a confused or at least incomplete understanding of what the Bible says will happen when the Messiah arrives. So now he will explain to them prophetic passages they had previously overlooked. He wants them to see that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension were clearly prophesied in Scripture. Monday. The common assumption held by the vast majority of that crowd would have been that Jesus' crucifixion proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that he could not have been the Messiah. Since childhood, they had only been taught about a Messiah who would come as a powerful warrior to defeat Israel's enemies and who would be a spiritual leader who turned the entire nation back to God. So in their minds, no one who had been disgracefully executed, as Jesus had been, could possibly be the Messiah. Yes, he'd done amazing miracles and some in the crowd undoubtedly still thought of him as a prophet. But they were convinced that his weakness in allowing himself to be executed proved he could not be the Messiah. So Peter now turns to the scriptures to show them that they were wrong. Now would you look at the text, Acts 2. I'm just taking the beginning of this. Verse 22. Men of Israel... Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by, mine says predetermined plan, it just simply says, by the plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. And put him to death. You nailed to the cross, a cross 
by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Would you say this Jesus whom you crucified? All right, now what happened to Peter? This man who 43 days ago, when a, when a servant girl says, you're one of his, aren't you? And he denied it, even gets profane and, 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 and swears he doesn't know the man. I mean, something came over him. Fear gripped him. He, he became just chilled in his bones. He was afraid. And he couldn't stand up for the Lord. He had already promised, remember, he, that though they, all the other disciples would fail Jesus, he wouldn't. And I have no doubt that that was absolutely his desire. But fear is something ugly, isn't it? Fear is a strange animal. When it, when it comes, you find yourself doing things and behaving in ways you don't want to behave. You can't believe you're behaving like this, but there it is. And it's a force all of its own. And so here's... Peter, who is so committed to standing strong and being willing to die for his Lord, boy, in that moment, the fear grips him and he is just down and denying to, to a servant girl that he even knows the Lord. Now, skip ahead, fast forward 43 days. Here he is standing in front of thousands on a holy day. I mean, if you're going to get in trouble with this crowd, this is the day you'll get in it. This is Pentecost. This is a holy day. We're all bringing our sacrifices to the temple. And we have now been intercepted by this miracle. And we're, we're, we're amazed at what's going on. But Peter stands in front of this crowd, looks them in the eye and says, you crucified your Messiah. And he is exalted to the right hand of God. And you're, we've seen him alive and so will you at the judgment Do you notice the change? Yeah. Notice this guy is, is telling them the truth in no uncertain terms. He's not angry. In fact, I'll show you that in a minute. He's, he actually speaks to them quite respectfully, but boy, is he laying the truth out. Something has changed him. There's a boldness in him and an eloquence in him that just has not been there. So what are the influences that changed this man and made him so bold? Here are three reasons that I can see. Number one, he loved his enemies. Would you say that? Though he's about to indict the crowd for executing their Messiah, Peter addresses them respectfully. He says, men, Israelites, hear these words. Later, he calls them brethren. And they respond by calling the disciples brethren. In light of all that had taken place in that city just 43 days earlier, the warmth in this exchange is surprising. Obviously, Peter's goal is to win their hearts, not rage against them for crucifying his master. He's loving them like Jesus did. He's bold, all right, but he's not mean. There's a real difference. He's bold, but this isn't an angry man just spouting at a, at, and many of them sitting there will have been the ones who 43 days ago were saying, crucify him, crucify him. Peter watched all this nonsense 
And he's not there going, you killed him. My beasts, you knew, awful people. He's not that way at all. He's not a mean Peter. He's not an angry Peter. Surprisingly respectful. Men, Israelites, Judeans, brethren, listen to my words. What's going on here? He's loving them like Jesus did. Jesus said in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Remember that? He says if you just love people like everybody else does, you'll love those who love you and you'll hate those who, who, who hate you. He says, but there's no miracle there. There's nothing supernatural there. Supernatural comes in when, when suddenly you're loving those who hate you. You're loving those who persecute you. When, when, there's a, when there's a perspective on life and on people bigger than yourself, it's not about you and your ego. It's about seeing them from God's perspective and longing for their souls. In Luke 19, this is, this is as Jesus, when he's, this is Passion Week. He's, he comes into the city. He's, he's, he, this is his time in Jerusalem. And it says he looked over the city and he wept. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have taken you under my wing like a, like a hen does her chicks. But you would not. You've missed the day of your visitation. Messiah's come. But I didn't come the way you expected. See, Peter's dealing with the same expectation issue. We've got a theological problem here. We've, we've, we've missed parts of the, of the prophets, and we've emphasized other parts of the, of the prophets. We don't do that kind of thing anymore. But back then, they would actually warp things to make it what they wanted. Imagine that. And so he's dealing with the same kind of theological twist. And so Jesus says, you missed me. You missed me. And boy, will you pay for it. Now you'll handle things your own way. You'll give yourself a Messiah, all right. And they did. They found themselves one who would lead them in battle. And the Romans just wiped them out. 71. And then 132 AD. I mean, the place ends up just a haunt of jackals. It just ends up a, a, an abandoned city that's torn down. And that temple to Jupiter is put right over the, where the temple was. A temple to Jupiter. <laughs> Luke 23:34 Luke Jesus as they're nailing him says father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing isn't that amazing we we see the same attitude in Stephen as he prayed for those who were stoning him as he died he cried out lord do not hold this sin against them remember who was standing there overseeing that execution Saul Psalm 69 says that you have a right when you are persecuted as a righteous person for vengeance. And he could have said, see and avenge my God. And God would have. It was a righteous thing to do. It's not the higher thing to do, but it is a righteous thing to do. Instead, Stephen, as they're, as they're stoning him for having simply preached to them the truth, says, so God, Forgive them. And there stands Saul gritting his teeth, hanging onto the robes, being the, the religious leader. He's a, he's, a, he's a high guy, a very high rabbi, overseeing this execution, getting forgiven, getting mercy called down on him. Aren't we grateful? 
One of the clear marks of revival is when Christians stop being angry at unbelievers and begin to weep that they are lost. This is what's wrong with listening to too much of this radio and stuff where you get sides and you begin to hate the other side and you begin to vilify people. You can be right, but you can be dead right. You can be right, but you're mean. And once you're mean, you're no good to God at all. Mean doesn't do the kingdom. It's not about tolerating. It's not about approving, but it's about loving. It's about seeing people caught in deception. Not people who are, who are hopeless and like that, but people who are caught in deception and loving them. That's, the, that's what God does to our eyes. We begin, to, we begin to weep that they are lost and pray for their salvation. Such love doesn't cause us to soften the gospel. It presses us to tell the whole truth. Peter's love for Israel didn't cause him to pull his punches, you'll notice. He doesn't compromise the truth, but it does change the atmosphere of the moment. His purpose isn't to try them in court and find them guilty. His purpose is to warn them so they can repent. In just a few moments, he will tell them to beware. Jesus is not only the resurrected Messiah who defeated death, but he is also the ascended Lord to whom God has given all authority to rule and judge. He warns them that the day will come when they will stand before him and give an account of, for what they have done. In effect, he says, we disciples have seen him alive from the dead, and so will you on judgment day, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, that's not pulling your punches. That's not watering down the gospel. That's not softening anything, and yet he respects them and loves them and is longing for them. He's not angry and raging at them. See the difference? Love will draw you out. You'll do things that you'd never do because you love. Some of you parents with your children will find yourselves doing things that, you're, you're, that everything frightens you, but you'll do it because you just... And you don't even think about it. It just has to be done for your children. You'll step out. I, I think of the time that my family called me from California and said, uh, basically, your uncle is, is uh, dying and he's having a very difficult time. Would you come down? Now, my uncle's the alpha male in my family. I have a father. This is, this is the guy. And my family on that side are... They're, they're loving, but they're stern. And um, there's, it's no nonsense family. And uh, the idea of going down now and telling my uncle, who has been, lived a very moral life, a very good life, that he's a sinner and he needs to repent, as he lies in a hospital, is not appealing. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm scared spitless. I got to get on the plane and it's, oh, Jesus, be with me. Any of you been in this place? You got to go tell somebody, you got to go do something, and you're just scared spitless. And the only reason you're doing it has nothing to do with wanting to let them have it. That's the last thing you want to do. You want to run and hide. What you're doing it for is because you love them. It's the only reason you're doing it. Love makes you bold. 
Love draws you out. It makes you do stuff you wouldn't do otherwise. When, when I get down to the hospital, the family basically all says, God bless you, we'll be praying for you. <laughs> and left. And I, I got, so I'm in there with my uncle alone. And now I've had that moment, I just never forget saying, oh Lord, what do I tell him? How do I tell the man he's a sinner and needs Jesus Christ? Now, he has some knowledge of these things, but he hasn't engaged it. It was the Holy Spirit. It was the love of God that gave me the strength to be bold in that moment. It had everything to do with, I love this man and can't bear to see him perish. You see it? That makes you bold. That'll draw you out. It's when the heart goes cold and we don't care anymore is when fear can grip us. We've got we to love like. I, 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 I did lead him to the Lord. I used Philippians 3 and Isaiah 53. And, and I said, Uncle, you've, you've got to abandon all trust in your own righteousness. You've got to entirely trust Christ. If you trust anything else, you'll perish. You must have him alone. Will you do that? And a tear runs down his cheek. He says, yes, I will. And I lead him to the Lord. And then I lay hands on him and pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And, and then, he, then after the, all of this, he fell asleep peacefully. I'm standing there in this room by myself, looking out the window in this hospital room, and, and thinking, am I, is this happening? Is this a dream? And I feel like pinching myself to see if I'm really awake. Am, am, I, am I really here? I mean, I've known this man all my life. It's never been really an open door. And I've just suddenly led him to Christ. And the Lord showed up. What on earth just happened? Now, of course, I'm just, I'm just blessed beyond belief. But it was love that made me press through my fear. I, I don't know if I can emphasize it enough how intimidated I was in that moment to speak that. Have you been there? And it's love that draws you through it. He didn't fear death. Would you say that? That's the second reason. Seeing the resurrection, pardon me, seeing the resurrected Jesus dramatically transformed the way Peter thought about death. Surely he had believed in life after death before, but now all doubt was gone. Now he knew for sure that the worry about what the, and the worry about what the crowd might do to him if they rejected his words had passed away. It wasn't that he wanted to die, but the fear of dying was no longer in control. Now, I've got a quote from, and you know who wrote it, from Hebrews chapter 2. Would you read that out loud with me? Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood... He, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. Is that a fabulous statement? He says, because the children, the children's us, this whole thing is about God the Father having a, a heaven full of children in eternity. And we're the children. 
And he says, because we, we humans, were flesh and blood, he sent his son to become flesh and blood, to partake of the same flesh and blood, to die for us, to break the bond of death, but to break something else as well. It's two things there. Not only did he break the bond of death, he also broke the fear of death to which we were enslaved. The slavery to the fear of death. I'm, I'm thinking right now of, a, of a, uh, a woman, she's actually a pastor's wife and um, long time in ministry. And she, a number of years ago, had a heart attack. And it was a severe one, and she died for a, for a bit and was resuscitated. When she was gone, she saw the other side. Now, here's what she said to me. I, 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 I said, no, I heard you died. You know. <laughs> what would you see? And she, 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 she said this. She said, now, she said, you know, all these years, I mean, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a minister. I, 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 she said, you believe in life after death. I mean, you, it, it's, you teach it, you preach it, you're committed to it. She says, but somehow through it all, there was always this little doubt. And she did this, this little doubt somewhere way down in here where I hope this is true. <laughs> you know what you mean? Yeah, we say it, we, we believe it, but there's still this nagging doubt. Is this uh, really true? And she says, now, she says, that's all gone. She says, in fact, she says, I wish I didn't have to come back. <laughs> she says, and I'm looking forward to going. And her husband's standing there, and he says, no kidding. And she said, <laughs> he said, she's so not afraid of death. She said, he said, it, it's a little unsettling for me. It's, it's, it's like she wants to go. And I'm thinking, you can't leave me. I need you. <laughs> what, what had happened? Well, she's, she's seen the other side. All of a sudden, the fears, the issues of like, what's, what's waiting for me? Is there really something there? All that's gone. It transforms you. It, 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 it sets you free. Now, is that the way we have to find out? Is there a better way maybe for most of us than having to die and see it and then come back? You and I might say, well, Peter had the advantage of seeing Jesus alive, and we don't. But listen to Jesus. He said to Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Jesus is saying there, it is possible to believe in my resurrection without having seen me, and there's a blessing to it. He told a parable, Jesus told a parable in which Abraham said to a rich man who had died. Now, he's, the rich man has uh, lived a life of, of just pleasure for this world, spent all of his money on himself, ignored Lazarus, the poor man. Um, and when he dies, he, he perishes. He, he's, <clears throat> he's in a hot place looking across a gulf. And uh, he, Abraham is there, and the poor man is first, the poor man is there. You don't just get there by being poor, but the poor man had faith. And he says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, Father Abraham, send someone to my brothers to warn them so they won't come here. And this is what Abraham says. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. 
Let them hear them. What does that mean? They have a Bible. Let them read the Bible. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, I suppose he means himself, they will repent. But he said to him, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, Scripture exposes the heart. And believing is a choice. And it's deeper than, it's not just a matter of doubt. I don't really know if it happened. There's something deeper that we can do. We can choose to truly believe. And scripture is enough. The testimony of the word of God has life in it, in itself. It can bear witness to our hearts and we can say, I choose to believe that with all my heart. I'm going to live in the light of that. I was, uh, the first mission I went on from here was to Africa. And uh, this fear thing, when I was getting on the jetway, this fear gripped me. And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm simply going to die. And I began to discuss with my wife. I said, maybe I shouldn't go. I mean, you know, I've got all this kind of, it's just nothing but fear. And of course, my wife in her own um, gentle way, just get on the plane. (laughs) God gave her to me for a reason. Oh, don't be silly. Get on the plane. But as I got, as I walked that jetway, it was kind of like, And I really thought, all right, I'll probably go die. I'll do it for Jesus. Now, I didn't die. I had the time of my life, fell in love with Africa, and and, um, feel silly about the way I felt. But fear grips Fear like that prevents us from going on missions. It prevents us from stepping out in ministry. It prevents us from ministering to someone we should. It prevents us from speaking the word we need to speak. The thing is a very real commodity, this fear thing that wants to grip us and hold us back. Jesus says that the word of God can come into my heart The truth of God can set me free by showing me there is life after death. That that I have nothing to fear. Doesn't mean you cast your life away casually. But it takes that fear of dying. And you'll see it maybe in yourself. You'll see it in others. You'll hear it in their conversation. Oh, I wouldn't dare do that. I wouldn't dare do that. And you're thinking, why? Well, you know, something might happen. And... uh, if we live in just this self-protective cocoon, it, it's, it puts us in a cul-de-sac. It, it, it winds us into some little tight little cocoon where we're just constantly making sure we're safe. You can't really serve Jesus and be safe. You're not foolish. I mean, you don't ever, you know, you don't 
go deliberately and put yourself in harm's way. This isn't a, a death wish. It isn't a, it isn't a carelessness. In fact, you're careful. But nonetheless, following Jesus gets you into scary things. It just opens you into situations. So it is possible for us to totally accept the testimony of God's word and be set free from slavery to the fear of death. Scripture contains all the truth we need, and it exposes the heart. Am I or am I not willing to live as if I had personally seen Jesus alive from the dead? The issue is deeper than doubt. It's ultimately a matter of my willingness to walk in faith. And the more I believe in life after death, the more I want to live. So I can bring as many as possible with me to heaven. I'm driven by an urgency of love and compassion, not an urgency of guilt. And thirdly, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Would you say that? Peter has just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is his day. To him, God is now present and personal. At that moment, as he stands before the crowd, he's very conscious of the Lord's anointing, of God working through him. He's not standing there alone trying to do the right thing. He's doing what he sees the Spirit doing, and he's speaking what he hears the Spirit saying. For the first time, We're watching what happens when the Spirit indwells a believer other than Jesus. There comes a mental change. Let me just, a little theology. I I don't want to, I'll just do this because I never know who's heard, heard me lately. When you're, when you receive Christ, when you repent and believe, God gives you everything. But Him giving us everything and us receiving everything are two different matters. There are many gifts that remain unopened. And for a lot of people, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has absolutely been given, but it's never been opened. It must be received. You will know when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're not sure, you probably aren't. Now, when I say stuff like that, don't write me letters, please. I'm getting tired of the letters. I mean, I, I want to be careful on how I say that, but do, do you know what I'm saying? It's, be, it's, it's an encounter with God. It's, an, it's a sense of him coming into you and upon you. That's the point. And if you don't know, what needs to happen to you hasn't happened yet. It's that awareness. It's that awareness that God has come to me and dwells within me. Hallelujah. It, it lights you up. And today's generation so desperately needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me compare it to this. The lepers in Jesus' time were a group of people who were separated from society. They weren't allowed to be around the society. They had to cover them, their face when they, when they spoke. They're supposed to, when someone get, draws near, they say, unclean, unclean, so that people could avoid them. They weren't ever touched because they're lepers. Now, the odd thing about that is actually leprosy is only contagious for a short period of time. After that, it's gone. It's only when it's on the skin. Anyway, another matter. But it, they're, they're, they're now separated and untouchable, untouchable the rest of their life. So when they came to Jesus, one of, the, one of the things he did that was so out of step was what? Touch them. Touch them. Yeah. 
And so here comes this leper. And Jesus doesn't just say, be clean. Jesus touches the leper and says, be clean. Which makes him ritually now unclean. He's got to go through all sorts of song and dance to get cleaned up so he can re-enter the community of Israel. He, but he, he does it every time. Reaches out and he touches them and heals them. There are people who feel like lepers, people who are alienated, who are lonely, who are dehumanized. I think our young generation feels this a lot. There's a, there's, there, there, there's a dehumanizing, there's a, a sense of being a consumer, being a number, but having no individual value. Often being ashamed, being addicted, feeling dirty, feeling angry at him or herself. All of this all tied up inside. And so we talk about God and we say, God loves you, but the person and the person is trying to say, I, I, I believe that, I believe that. But what a moment, what a change when God comes and touches that person. When they feel the move of God and the love of God, when they feel the spirit come over them, there's a message there that no amount of words or of, of, of theology can make up. Do you understand? He came to me. He filled me. He loves me. I'm clean. I'm clean. He's here. That is worth a million words. This baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is so needed. We must not walk away from it. There is a baptism, and I'm telling you, Jerry Cook says that when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, there is a radical relocation of God. Would you say that? A radical relocation of God. It's the way we think. He moves from a distant throne in heaven to a loving presence within. As a 12-year-old boy, this was me. I'm just... I'm, I get, I'm, I'm getting C's, D's, and F's. I'm get, I could care less. I don't do my homework. Who cares? I've got a, I've got a very dysfunctional mother, a, a troubled life. I'm getting in trouble. Who cares? Who cares? Just leave me alone. I get dragged to a prayer meeting. And God touches me and fills me and just lights me up. And all of a sudden, nobody had to say anything. Nobody did say anything. I was pretty much by myself. I didn't have anybody explaining to me what happened. They didn't have to. God was interested in me. And he touched me, and he'd come to me. I don't know why, but I know he likes me. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, but do you know what that did to that 12-year-old boy? It turned my life around. It just turned me around. All of a sudden, I think differently. I can't not. Because God came to me and likes me. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. My relationship with God ceases to be a mental debate about whether or not he exists and becomes a question of obedience I no longer think of him as a distant God on a throne, but as a loving Lord who dwells within. I think this is one of the reasons that I spend very little time on apologetics. You don't hear me trying to argue for the existence of God much. 
I'm not against apologetics, and I think they have an important place. So don't me, hear me saying I'm, not, I'm, I'm against them, but I don't feel the need for them. Well, why? Well, let's put it this way. Let's suppose that I'm standing with my wife, Mary, and somebody comes up and says, so do you really believe your wife exists? What am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to look over and... Yeah? No, no, Steve, come on. This could be a figment of your imagination. You could be hallucinating. You could be part of some monster's dream somewhere. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, will there be a sound? Okay. This is a non-starter, isn't it? I mean, you can go at me with that kind of philosophical tripe, but after a while, it's like, whatever, okay? We'll see you later. Why? I know her. And that is very much the way it is for me. I know him. So can I prove he exists? No, I can't prove I exist. Descartes spent all of his time doing that, remember? I think, therefore, I am. Aha. Cool. Go. Imagine spending a lifetime trying to decide if you exist. My relationship ceases to be a mental debate about whether or not he exists and becomes a question of obedience. I no longer think of him as a distant God on a throne, but as a loving Lord who dwells within. The assurance, the physical consciousness that the Spirit has come upon me. You feel him. You know he's there, and and not just once. And flooded my inner being changes the way I think about myself. Like one of the lepers Jesus touched, I say, he touched me, I'm clean. The holy God has come and he's willing to dwell inside me. Not only do I believe I am loved, I actually feel loved. And hear the spirit testifying within that I am a child of God. So often this truth is taught apart from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm told to repeat Bible promises until I believe them. And that's a good thing. But the process isn't supposed to be just me telling myself he loves me. It's also supposed to be the spirit within telling me he loves me. John Wesley called this the assurance and told his preachers not to tell people they were saved. He said that was the spirit's job. He told his preachers, don't you announce to somebody, you give the gospel, but don't you announce to somebody they're saved. Because when they are, the Spirit will tell them, they'll know. The assurance, they'll have the inner witness. And Wesley was led to Christ in a Pentecostal service. His heart was strangely warmed. So what made Peter so bold? What turned him from a fearful, muddled man into a courageous leader? The answer is the same realities that change you and me. He loved his enemies. And that love compelled him to speak and soften the hearts of his listeners. He he didn't fear death. The terror that chills our bones and turns us into cowards had been broken off of him. He wasn't its slave anymore. Now he was able to speak what God gave him to speak and trust that his life was in God's hands. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. His whole thinking about God and himself had changed. 
When he stood up, he could feel the anointing. The spirit was strengthening him. His mind was clear and the words came easily. He felt God's heart for the people. He didn't see dangerous enemies. He saw sheep without a shepherd. So have you and I been held back by fear? Are there things God's asked you to do? People God's asked you to speak to? Ministry he's asked you to perform? People he wants you to pray for? Places he wants you to go? Missions he wants you to step out in? Bottom line, the real reason that you haven't is fear. Fear's gripped you. It's prevented you. Peter shows us the change that can come. Peter shows us that, that love can constrain us. The love of God for people and love of the Lord God for the lost and the broken and the needy can make us do things we wouldn't do. Peter has shown us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes and changes our entire thinking. The way we think about God and ourselves, the sense of his presence with us, that, that lovely phrase in the movie, Chariots of Fire, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Peter was feeling his pleasure right then. Pleasure of God was with him. How, how many know the experience? When you, you, you've done, you've been, you knew you had to do something, scared spitless, and then when you showed up and you stepped out and you began to move, God came. And there was his power. There was his grace. You found the flow. You found the words. You found, and, 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 was, and you're, it's, you're, there's a moment when you wake up in the, and, you're, and you're in the middle of it and, you're, and you think, oh, this is cool. Whoa. And you feel, you feel lovely. You feel supported. You feel his presence, right? That's your birthright. You and I have all we need. It's been given to us. It's been given to us to walk in boldness, to step out when the Spirit says step out. We can do this, and He will be with us. Truth be told, I still suffer anxiety and things over, over speaking and ministering. Forty years, imagine that. Whew. And 40 years, I can give you this testimony, that every time you step out, God will be there. I know that. I just have to drag myself into place, do the preparation I can, and say, oh, Jesus, show up. And he does. He does. He does for all of us. He's faithful. He's faithful. So who today needs to say, God, I know there's some things I need to do, some people I need to talk to, some ministries I'm supposed to be doing, some, some missions I'm supposed to be going on, some I don't know what. But fear's held me back, but it won't hold me back anymore. I am not afraid to die. There's life for me, eternal life for me. I will let the love of God constrain me. My heart will, will, will pull me along, and I will do things because I love, and I trust the power of the Holy Spirit to be with me and strengthen me every moment of the way. I'm going to walk like Peter walked in that kind of boldness. Anyone need to raise your hands? Just hold them up. Father, see our hands. See our hands. Right now, may the spirit of fear be broken off of us and may the, may the boldness 
the, the joy, the strength of the Holy Spirit strengthen us. God, we choose to love the kind of love that drags us <laughs> into situations and won't let us go. We will not be afraid. You have conquered death and we have been set free from slavery to death, the fear of death. We will not let that fear grip us anymore. We won't cast our life away. We won't be careless with it, but neither will we spend our lives trying to shelter it. We will step out when you tell us to step out in boldness. And Holy Spirit, oh God, you've come. We receive you. If any of us have not openly, deliberately received this baptism of the Holy Spirit. We choose to receive it now. We say, come Holy Spirit, come in all your power. I need you to touch me. I need you to fill me. I need to know you're there. I need the voice within saying, I love you. You're my child. I need to hear you say it, not just me say it. I need to hear you say it. Come, oh God. I receive the fullness, the baptism of the Spirit, and choose to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit the rest of my life. That is my prayer and my commitment, and I mean every word of it. I pray it in Jesus' name. If that's your prayer, would you say, yes, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.